Fidelity. What's it cost to invest with the Fidelity app? Start with as little as $1 with no account fees or trade commissions on U.S. stocks and ETFs. Hmm, that's music to my ears. I can only talk. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Zero account fees apply to retail brokerage accounts only. Zero dollar commission applies to online U.S. equity trades and ETFs and retail Fidelity accounts. Sell order assessment fee not included. Some account types and securities excluded. Details at fidelity.com slash commissions. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSE SIPC. Are you tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? Well, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, everyone. A lot has happened in the more than two weeks since then Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin killed George Floyd. This horrifying event sparked massive protests against racism and police brutality around the country, but also around the globe. Since then, arrests have been made. Public schools have cut ties with police departments. Cities have begun to pledge to take funding away from the police departments. White CEOs and editors-in-chief have been forced to step down. Famous reality TV stars have been fired. Yeah, it's even coming to reality TV, finally. It seems... Maybe that space has at last been opened up for anti-racist fans of the Bachelor franchise to not just demand real change because people have been talking about this for a while, but to actually get some change. Right. The conversation about The Bachelor's overwhelming whiteness is definitely not a new one. There's been a racial discrimination suit against the show, numerous change.org petitions, and fan campaigns for Black contestants like Mike Johnson, Eric Bigger, and Markel Martin to become The Bachelor. Rachel Lindsay has publicly registered her frustration with the franchise for years, and podcasts like the amazing Two Black Girls, One Rose, as well as our own, have highlighted The Bachelor's uneasy shameful relationship with race. But this moment does feel different. And Bachelor alumni who often avoid politics on their feeds in favor of, you know, selling flat tummy tea were suddenly put in a new position, a position where they had to really speak up about racism or signal complicity. You know, we saw people's comment sections within Bachelor Nation become spaces for full-blown debate um, Rachel and Becca Kufrin had on their podcast, the official Bachelor podcast, Bachelor Happy Hour, a very candid, raw, emotional conversation about race um, that actually stretched over two entire episodes. And this has also opened up space for former employees of The Bachelor and The Bachelorette to speak up. Uh, on Friday, former casting director Jazzy Collins wrote an open letter on Instagram to ABC about the way that she was treated while working for The Bachelor and The Bachelorette. Quote, women with afros, braids, locks weren't even given a chance because of the white standards of beauty, she wrote. Once I developed a voice for myself in the office, I was hit with many microaggressions, including being called aggressive. I felt alone. While walking through the production and post offices, I only saw a total of three black people. 
So last week, just days after a grassroots campaign for bachelor diversity was launched and Rachel Lindsay threatened to sever ties with the franchise altogether over their mishandling, not only of this moment, but of race over the years. The Bachelor named Matt James, the founder of nonprofit ABC Food Tours, who was supposed to be a contestant on Claire Crawley's season, as the first Black Bachelor. Of course, this move alone doesn't deserve even a quarter of a gold star, but it has encouraged Bachelor Nation to keep yelling for more representation, both in front of the camera and on the production side of the show. So on June 12th, the executive producers of The Bachelor finally put out a statement, and it had been noticed how long they had gone without making a statement, especially considering the extreme whiteness of the show. They finally put out a statement saying that they, quote, acknowledge our responsibility for the lack of representation of people of color on their franchise. And they pledged to make significant changes to address the issue moving forward, including taking steps to, quote, expand diversity in our cast, in our staff, and most importantly, in the relationships that we show on television. Because so much has been going on, we we really felt like it was important to dedicate a whole podcast episode to diving a little bit deeper into this current moment of Black Lives Matter activism and how that is playing out within Bachelor Nation. So first, we spoke to two of the Batch Diversity Campaign's co-creators, Ria Ali and friend of the pod, Brett Vergara, about the grassroots campaign that now has more than 120,000 signatures. Ria and Brett, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks so much for having us. Really appreciate it. So, funny story. Uh, We actually taped this interview already. Um, Our listeners will not know that because uh, some news broke after we taped it. Uh, Shortly after we spoke, ABC named their first Black Bachelor, Matt James. And that was one of the top line demands on this petition, this movement. How did it feel for you both to see that news? Yeah, uh, obviously that was one of, like you said, it was our flagship request. And to see that so quickly met was really exciting. And obviously we're really excited for Matt James. He's a really smart, kind, charitable, very good looking guy. (laughs) (laughs) We're excited for him. Um, But also in terms of, you know, this petition and the 120,000 and counting uh, members of Bachelor Nation that it signifies. Uh, we were just excited for all of us that we were all able to come together, building upon the work of people who came before, um, like Rachel Lindsay, like Two Black Girls, One Rose, all these different voices in the conversation, um, and really affecting a change. It's hard to know whether it was us or not, but we think that we definitely played a role, um, especially in the timing of the announcement. Absolutely. And and what did you think about the timing, kind of the the rollout of it? Yeah, I feel like for all of us, it's it's definitely like a mixed feelings thing, right? I mean, first you just get caught up in the whirlwind that is this past week, two weeks. I don't know, time doesn't even make sense anymore. Um, but yeah, you see the announcement and, you know, it's a, it's a great thing. I mean, it was very quick. It was not uh, on the timeline that we were thinking by any means. It wasn't even really the first step that we were thinking uh we wanted to even see from abc like we would have loved to see uh you know again this is the ideal world right where 
we could have held ABC and Warner Brothers' hand, like, here's how I think would be a responsible way to do this rollout and really set up your first Black Bachelor for success, right? But, you know, knowing capitalism and networks and, and hasty decision-making, it's like, no, let's just do everything in three days, in three days. Um, no, so all that to say uh, is that, you know, we were happy, but at the same time, uh, yeah, there's still a lot of work to be done. And I think our group is now in an interesting spot because we want to uh, keep pushing for change beyond the casting of a Black Bachelor. And we also acknowledge that a lot of people are going to see this as like, oh, well, like they did it. So cool. Like we're, we're good, right? And maybe ABC included. I'm not sure. Uh, so we really want to keep stressing the other points of our petition and we'd love all of the listeners of here to make friends to really help us out with that because it's equally, if not more so important. Can you kind of walk us through exactly what those other things are? You know, obviously, again, the easiest things to point to are Black Bachelor. Um, you know, what comes next? Sure. So the first thing was obviously, yeah, casting the Black Bachelor. Um, and another was an acknowledgement of wrongdoing in the past and just really uh, apologizing. And I think we sort of got that kind of. We got, we got an acknowledgement from executive producers following the announcement. So we kind of like get like half credit there. We're still <laughs> sorting out our feelings there. You know, but other things, there's still 11 other items, if I can do math right, uh, 11 other items of the petition that we're looking to do. So that's uh, hiring diverse crew, whether that's post-production, production, production uh, literally everyone involved, casting, everyone involved in the operation, uh, just to make sure that this is handled responsibly and it's handled thoughtfully. Um, and, uh, hiring a diversity consultant would be really great for, uh, and, and uh, there's some items that tie into each other. So another point, for example, is not exploiting stereotypes. That would be something that a diversity consultant would help rectify, right? So those are some, I'll let like Rhea maybe get into some that I didn't touch on. Sure. Um, like Brett said, it's, you know, it was never enough just to cast a black or a BIPOC bachelor. Uh, we want to make sure that they're equipped for the tools for success and have the support that they need. And it's really important that uh, ABC and Warner Brothers um, conduct the season and make sure that he's not portrayed in a stereotyping, tokenizing, exotifying way. And so a lot of our other asks speak to that and how to uh, accomplish that. So Brett mentioned the diversity consultant and hiring, um, also mental health support resources, because we know that um, he's in this pioneering role. And there's a lot of pressure on him, just as there was on Rachel when she was on her season, to make sure that they have the support they need, and as well as the BIPOC contestants on his season have the support that they need. Um, we also have more thorough vetting of contestants um, to screen for past prejudice. And, you know, we talked about this a little bit with Rachel when we did an IG Live with her on Sunday, uh, where she had a contestant on her season, Lee, who, you know, it was really quickly uncovered, had a problematic history of racist tweets. And like, just to, if I can like deep dive into that for one second, um, why that's so important, I think a lot of people don't realize is, you know, we think we all agree that Rachel handled that as gracefully as she could have, uh, but it doesn't matter how often you encounter something like that, it doesn't matter how um, much of an exterior you've built up, the putting somebody in a position where 
they're with somebody who thinks that they are less than them, that their rights and their worth are less, um, is an Im- immense emotional and mental toll. And I just think like, we all think that there are just some lines reality television should not cross or any television. And that's one of them. And whether that was intentional or um, an omission, you know, neglect on their part, it doesn't really matter. It's just something that they should actively try to avoid. And um, we think that it shouldn't be that hard, you know, and people at home are doing it in two hours. So. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. And, you know, Bachelor Nation, the audience is also a big part of this conversation. Um, something that Rachel definitely faced uh, as Bachelorette was prejudice and racism within the viewership. So what is the campaign asking of fans of the franchise in addition to ABC itself? Yeah, so we also have a viewer pledge because like you said, we recognize um, a lot of past contestants have spoken to the fact that there's the production part, but there's also the fans, um, how we interact with the franchise how we uh, show our support, what we say. And so we thought it was really important to, um, for viewers to take an affirmative uh, stance on being more vigilant about our own words and also looking at our community and our online forums um, and making sure that we're also holding ourselves to the same anti-racism standard that we're asking of ABC and Warner Brothers. So that includes, you know, listening thoughtfully to BIPOC contestants and leads to make sure we're not saying or supporting racist words um, or positions and being mindful that production bases their choices off of our actions and letting that determine who we follow and what we like. So what has the response been like to the campaign? I mean, obviously, I know that this came together pretty quickly in a really grassroots way and suddenly it's everywhere and 120,000 people have signed it. Like what has that been like and, and what sort of responses have you seen? Yeah. I mean, we've been really blown away by the response. I mean, the, uh, just the sheer number of people who've supported the campaign, whether that's simply their signature or amplifying the campaign, talking about it, um, you know, on their social media or talking about it on respective podcasts, you know, well, this one included, hello. Uh, but then, you know, really shout outs to uh, Nick Vial and Ben and, and Chetty Broads, like all of these separate, all these different podcasts who are really, and Rachel continuously, um, really giving us support. And we've been really touched by that. You know, I think it does get into this whole idea of like, okay, so why were these changes made? Was ABC looking to do this all along? And did this just happen to help out? Like, you know, you can kind of analyze that until you're blue in the face but at the same time like it doesn't really matter like if we if we have any sort of a part in this that feels amazing and we're really grateful but we're happy to just amplify the message no matter no matter who gets the credit for it yeah like brett said this has been an existing conversation and we see ourselves as like contributing to and pushing that conversation forward and so it's exciting that like to hear from so many voices in Bachelor Nation, but also signatures on the petition and seeing the momentum that is built. Um, I spoke about this last time we talked, but it's been really exciting also just like as fans to see the support from past contestants. Um, Like we're definitely fangirling, but also just hearing (laughs) from um, specifically contestants, uh, BIPOC contestants, 
um, who've talked about how much this means to them and how excited they are about where this could go. Um, that has been really meaningful because it just shows us that, you know, we're doing something that matters to someone. And so that's been really gratifying. As we wrap up, you know, can you just let our listeners know where they can find the campaign online, how they can get involved and just maybe leave us with, are you hopeful? Yeah, so you can find our campaign at Batch Diversity, whether it's Twitter, Instagram. Uh, you can you can find a lot of separate links that are linked out on our Instagram as well. There's a whole, you know, website, link tree, uh, different resources that that we think are really important, highlighting other causes as well. Um, and as for like what we could really use uh, support with is really giving a platform to these other. Um, points of the petition that are equally, if not more so important. And we really, really do not want the momentum to slow down. Uh, obviously, it makes sense that for some people it will, but we really would love support and help in highlighting mental health resources and pushing for um, you know, that, that hired behind the scenes as well. Uh, you know, we, we don't want the work to stop here, and we don't plan to stop that work. We know plenty of other advocates who've been supporting this cause far before we have, uh, we'll continue that conversation and we just want to keep everybody on board. Everybody who signed, just keep trucking along. Yeah, I completely agree. We're really excited. Um, and we really appreciate the acknowledgement from ABC and Warner Brothers and the producers of The Bachelor last Friday. And we hope that they can continue to build on that and hopefully release a clear action plan. Uh, so we can see what they have in store. Yeah. Yeah. And then your last question that I forgot to touch on as far as hopeful. Yeah, I would say I'm hopeful. Uh, I, I would say I'm actually increasingly hopeful. You know, when we first started this, we got a lot of support from contestants, you know, Bachelor Nation in general, podcast support. But then, you know, there was a part of me that as the week progressed, I was like, oh, what if we do this and it's for nothing? That's going to feel terrible. Uh, and it was a very real fear. So I think just getting a first step, you know, we've, we've said that a lot. It's like, this is just the first step, but the first step's important. And whether that's casting a black lead, whether that's that statement that the executive producers put out, that's important. And you have to recognize those little wins as you can get them. And just from seeing statements from, you know, like Rob Mills, who I know that who's, I believe has been on here to make friends, right? Um, he did a, a interview with, I want to say it's Variety, but essentially saying that yeah, like this is a great first step. We did this as a kind of little bout of optimism in, in the time that we're in. Hopefully it's just, it's something, but also it, he acknowledged, I think in, in a good way that, the, you know, it can't stop here. And it also just can't stop with Rachel talking about this for, for a time. Like we really want to amplify her as much as we can. And she's so damn smart. So everything that she says is is gold, but, the same time, like it's ridiculous that they can't just drag her in every single time they need to address race. So I, I remain hopeful him saying that uh, is going to spur some changes. Absolutely. Thank you guys so much for joining us. This was fantastic and keep up the great work. Thank you so much. Thanks so much. We also caught up with Rachel Lindsay the morning that the news about Matt James becoming the franchise's first Black Bachelor broke. Good timing.
We are so grateful that our next guest took the time to chat with us. Rachel Lindsay has taken on a lot, way too much, if you ask us, when it comes to holding The Bachelor franchise accountable for its role in perpetuating anti-Blackness and systems of inequality. She was also the first and as of yesterday only Black person to be cast (laughs) as a lead in The Bachelor's 18 years of existence. Rachel, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you guys for having me. I'm glad to be back. It's been too long. It really has. And we had to tweak. I had to tweak that line because I realized I'm halfway through reading it. I'm like, oh, today they announced a Black Bachelor. Right, right. I know. I, in my mind, I have to think about how I talk about the franchise now because I can't say only Black lead. Now we have two. It's a, it's a baby step. It is. I don't even know if baby is the right word. It's in utero. It's in you. Yeah. yeah. It is something. It is something. I don't even know where to start. When you found out the news, like when, when did ABC let you know that this, this news was coming? I knew a couple of days ago that it was coming. I don't think anybody wanted to give me the phone call and let me know, Hey, this is what's going to happen, which is that not telling? Like, you know that you're not rolling this out the correct way. So I have been, I'm no stranger to screaming, asking, begging for diversity in this franchise. It's just now my voice is being amplified and there's a whole movement going on. So I have momentum going behind me because there's just a lot of changes that are happening in our society for the better. I've have been waiting for the day for another lead of color to be cast. And I thought when I heard it, I would just be like, this feels good. Is it crazy that I feel nothing? I feel nothing about the announcement. I am happy to see it. I am happy that there is a black lead that has been announced, but the way that it's been announced, the rollout of it, watching it all go happen on Good Morning America, even the way they described who they chose, all of it is just a huge red flag to me. It's a problem. And I think it's sad because it's not Matt James's fault. You know, they picked Matt James. Is that a surprise? Isn't that the bare minimum in who they chose? You know, like you really didn't step out of bounds in who you picked for the franchise as you delete this franchise as you introduce him to the world as Tyler Cameron and Hannah Brown's best friend. I mean, come on. There's nothing else we can, we can know about this man. Nothing. He's black and he's best friends with the two most popular people in the franchise. Come on guys. Yeah, no, I think that, that you bring up such an important point in, in that like, this is the bare minimum. This is they've cast basically the most like socially acceptable to most palatable to white people person of color to be the first black lead. Um, and again, we, I think share your feeling of like, thank goodness this is happening. This is, this is a win, but it's just the beginning. And I guess we're curious to hear from you what you think actual meaningful change looks like with, within this franchise. Yeah. I hope, like, I know the company that I'm in. So like, you guys get it. I'm just hoping that America doesn't get distracted 
by the announcement that there is a black bachelor and realize that what I said was there's systemic racism within the franchise. And what that, that means is it's deep rooted, it's structural, it's internal, and there have to be changes that are made from within. It doesn't mean that you put a Band-Aid over it. You just put a symbol to represent that that's a reaction to the societal pressure. It means that you're actually hearing what we're saying. We wanna feel, as people of color included in this franchise, we wanna feel valued, we wanna feel recognized. And that means talking to someone in an ITM that looks like me. That means when you come into casting, that you're meeting a producer who maybe understands you, maybe understands your hesitation and your fear of how you may be represented on camera in this franchise. That's what needs to happen. You need to have a black voice, or just not even just black, just a person of color in the room who's making decisions, who actually can speak from experience to this rather than what they've seen or read or learned. Because you can only learn so much. You know, I'm not saying that there aren't progressive thinkers within the Bachelor franchise. I'm just saying nobody can actually get it like a person of color. And so I need to see those steps taken as far as how this franchise is going to move forward. And I also want a statement. I want an acknowledgement that you have done it wrong for so many years and we want to take the steps to move forward. We recognize our how we've been wrong with this. We want to be on the right side and we want to take those steps moving forward. You just naming a black bachelor doesn't let me know that you're committed to making real change within this franchise. It's the equivalent of putting a black box on social media. That's what it is. Right. No context, no acknowledgement of past wrongs, no reckoning with the the structure that this show has been airing within or the messaging that it's been, you know, putting across for 18 years. I mean, yeah, I think yeah. that's and I hope that's something that all of our listeners are taking into consideration. Like this is not something that ABC gets a gold star for. And uh, yeah. this is also not where like the calls for change should end. Yeah, exactly. What's the action behind it? What other steps are you going to take? You know, there was a statement in the announcement from ABC, you know, the head, the head of ABC Entertainment. But even that was, we recognize that we need to do stories that are reflective of society. You can do that with just contestants of color. That's, a, you know, that's, that doesn't let me know anything. It doesn't let me know that you're serious in this. And I, you know, I have to say, I, I want to keep saying, I am happy to see it. But what does this mean? And even with, with, with Matt James, it's what, how are you, what is your reaction to this? You know, I almost wanted more from him in this interview. You're not just, it's not just the pressure of being the first black bachelor. It's also the pressure of representing yourself and what this new society looks like, this new world, recognizing black people and recognizing the struggle that they've been through. I want to hear more from him, his stories, what he's gone through as a black man. There's the pressure that he needs to respond to what's going on as well. And have you spoken with people from the franchise over the past couple of weeks since you've really been very outspoken about what they need to do, aside from kind of getting a heads up that this news was coming? Have they been in dialogue with you at all? Yeah, I mean, I've been pretty vocal. (laughs) I always am. (laughs) So I've received some phone calls that say, you're not wrong. We hear you. We agree with you. And we're trying to make movement. 
you know, we're trying to respond to some things that we didn't get right. So I'm assuming that means, okay, we were, we were going to release Matt James's bachelor. It's, it's just, I hate the timing of it. I really do. I just have to be so honest with that. You could have let him go through Claire's season. You could have let it play out. You could have, you could have not let him go through Claire's season and just announced him later on. But the way you're announcing it is just very much so a knee jerk reaction. To me, it doesn't seem sincere. And it also lets me know how easy it was for you to pick a lead. Oh, really? Okay, this ha- a man had to die in such a public and gruesome way for you to say, you know what, we, we have to do it now. No, it lets me know you always could have done it and you chose not to. And that's the point that needs to be really emphasized in all this. Yes, there is a Black Bachelor, but look how easy it was for you to do it. Oh my God. We're all like Claire and I are like, yes, preach Rachel. (laughs) Um, Everything you just said. I mean, and and that sort of leads us into what we, what we did want to talk to you about kind of like zooming out on this whole situation a bit and asking how, how you have felt about this, you know, the way that bachelor nation has and has not been grappling with the recent wave of anti-racist, anti-police brutality protests and the the larger conversation that our culture is going through. And I do think that, you know, it's that's exactly what you just pointed out. Like that context was completely missing from the announcement that we saw today. Yeah. I mean, I feel like they tried to tell a story with the lead up to it, showing, you know, how the franchise has been lacking diversity. And then it's like, oh, and by the way, Here's Matt James, and you don't know who he is if you're the casual watcher, but for those of you who don't know, he's pop, he's attached to these two white contestants that are popular in the franchise. So as if to give him credibility, no, let's recognize who he is. If I were Matt, I would be offended that the only thing you know about me is that I'm attached to two popular white people. Why aren't you recognizing the charitable work that I do? Why aren't you recognizing or telling my story as what it is to grow up as a black man, a biracial man in this society? Where's the depth to who I am? Instead, you attached me to two white people trying to make it okay, almost like this is why we chose them. Because that's how it comes off. I'm sure that there's more, but instead you tried to affiliate me with two popular white people in the franchise. It's just so the wrong way to roll this out. And I will also add, I don't know if a lot of people know this, that when I was going through my thing with Hannah Brown, who has since called me and apologized, I want to put that out there. When I was going through it and her fans were attacking me, do you know what they would say to me? Why can't you be more like Matt James? Isn't that crazy? Oh, God. Once again, if I was Matt James, I would be offended. Apparently, I'm too much, but you're just right. What does that say? If I'm him, it lets me know that I'm apparently not doing enough or I need to do more because I'm okay, but you're not. I can't tell you how many people said, well, Matt James isn't saying something, so it must be okay. Well, Matt James James gave a Bible verse, so it must be. That's. I would be livid if that's what people were saying about me. I'm making you comfortable. Right. I, I'm, I'm not actually challenging you. Like, that's fine. Yeah. Matt James isn't challenging me. Why are you, Rachel? Yeah. Oh, God. Matt, Hannah says the N-word, and her fans say, 
well, Matt James didn't say anything, so it must be okay. You should, like, and I don't know if he knows that, but if you do happen to listen to this, you should be offended by it, and maybe you should speak out a little, like, people feel comfortable with you in your presence. And I'm not saying make people feel uncomfortable, but they're saying you're okay, and I'm not, because I'm holding someone accountable for saying something wrong towards Black people. That's it's, really- It's wild. That's really disturbing. And I and I think it's telling of the culture of the Bachelor and Bachelor Nation and how uh, deep that goes, like the default whiteness and the racism that's contained in that, that like, you can be here if you make us comfortable. Um, and, and otherwise, you know, we would rather maintain like the this, this whiteness and, and it's it's getting harder and harder, I think, for a lot of people to ignore. We've seen so much more discussion of it within Bachelor Nation recently. Um, and one way that that came out was this extremely raw and candid episode of Bachelor Happy Hour that you did with Becca Cooper mm-hmm. and where you guys really dug into race and specifically into her fiance's, uh, Garrett's uh, recent post of the Blue Lives Matter image and his long caption in support of the police. Um, And we were really surprised and happy to see that a conversation between you guys ran about it on the official Bachelor podcast. Like, can you talk us through how that conversation came about and how the decision was made between all of you to go forward with it? Yeah, I mean, one thing again, momentum is on my side. So, and we're living in a world where it's hashtag amplify black voices, not silence us anymore. We've been doing that for 400 years. So I, I knew that I could just be raw and real and that it most likely wouldn't have been edited because that's, then you're falling victim to, not victim, but you're guilty of doing what everyone else has been doing. So the original conversation was supposed to be kind of this theme of an uncomfortable conversation with a black woman and a white woman, right? A real, like me asking questions of why is this happening? Why is this the response from white people? And her asking me questions about Black Lives Matter. And we thought that we would really be setting the table and an example of how to have these conversations that other people could possibly emulate that maybe are struggling asking their black friend or asking their white friend. But in light of the Garrett situation, all of that changed because it's something that had to be addressed. So I knew that I wanted to address the franchise about why I feel the way that I do and why I'm vocal and how this isn't me capitalizing, which some people have accused me of, capitalizing on what is happening in our country. I have always spoken out as to why I joined the franchise and what I hope to be a trailblazer for in this franchise. It's just not everybody, you guys were listening, but not everybody was listening, you know? So I, I knew I wanted to do that, but then I knew that I had to have these conversations with Becca and it became, which is why I got emotional, very frustrating as to her response. And I will also say Becca had just buried her grandfather the day before we podcasted and she probably should not have podcasted. She was in a very emotional state, which was why I was even more upset that Garrett put that post out the day she was burying her grandfather. It's just so insensitive to me. And so she's trying to celebrate and honor a man who she looked up to, his life, but then has to come back to her phone 
and see all these messages because of what he was posting while this was happening. It's just so disrespectful to me. So Becca will readdress what she feels about Black Lives Matter and what's more representative about how she feels because she was very distracted and stuck in a place where I'm feeling all these emotions, I'm trying to honor my relationship and it, it, it wasn't fair to her. So I'm happy that she's gonna have the opportunity to address how she feels because I feel like she didn't get a, a fair shot the first go around. I know she means well. It just didn't come out well and rightfully so. <laughs> but I thought that the conversation was really telling and honest in a lot of ways and we don't often hear those conversations aired especially on a channel that is you know focused on this incredibly white franchise that even when it has addressed issues of race and also honestly religion sexism kind of any of yeah. you know sexual assault like has done it in a way that is highly controlled and and just a little bit whitewashed <laughs> honestly yeah uh, and so to me i thought that that was like really really valuable and just getting that conversation in front of a wider audience than might necessarily um be be privy to something like that in their own lives felt really significant and and important and i'm also wondering you know obviously you've sort of been tasked both explicitly and implicitly with being like the anti-racism spokesperson for all of bachelor nation which is like an incredibly massive burden to carry uh, when the franchise itself has as we've kind of enumerated not done that work at all Mm -hmm. Um, I'm wondering what pushed you to the point recently to be like, I, I need to draw a line in the sand and, and say that I cannot even be affiliated with this franchise if radical changes aren't being made. Yeah. I think for me, it's that, no, I think, I know (laughs) with what's happening in our society, we all are, and just quarantine, right? Let's just start from quarantine we're alone or you're at least sequestered with somebody and you i've been doing a lot of self-reflecting and just with with the world going crazy you just kind of focus on the simple things but the important things what matters who's important to you what you value and how you're going to come out of this and what type of person you're going to be in light of the pandemic now you add to it black lives matter which started in 2013 It's just now everybody's waking up to it and understanding what it really means. That meaning hasn't changed. So in light of Black Lives Matter, I'm starting to also reflect, what is it, have I been a part of the problem in any way? What is it that I am affiliated with that is not on the right side of this? Well, in self-reflecting, it's the Bachelor franchise. And although I have been very loud and outspoken about the need for diversity, I feel like I haven't been loud enough on certain things in discussing the structural issues, the deep rooted issues as to why you haven't seen a person of color leave this franchise or on the male side and only one on the female side. And so for that, I thought I've spoken, I've said my piece, I've talked to producers, I've written articles that have called out the franchise and nothing has been done. So I need to make a drastic move. I no longer want to be affiliated with something who isn't on the right side of this. When we write about this, 
in the history books, when we tell our children, our grandchildren about 2020, where can you say that you stood? What type of stance did you make? I want to say that I took a stance of saying, I no longer want to be affiliated with a franchise who's part of the problem. And so that's all of that is what led me to say, you know what? It's either this or this. And honestly, I still don't know where I stand on this because although you casted a, a black bachelor, which is amazing, it's great. I'm still stuck on what led you to do it, what pushed you to do it. And are you truly serious and going to take those steps about making change? A statement would have shown me that. Also saying we've casted a black bachelor. We are also interviewing other producers of color on the casting side and those that are in the house. Where is, what is the plan of action? That is what I needed to see to fully say, okay, I'm still going to be a part of this, a part of this franchise. I don't know yet. This yeah, isn't no. enough for me. I mean, and candidly, I think that we're having the same internal dialogue. Like we are two white women. We don't want to contribute to just like reifying these, you know, racist dynamics with our show. Uh, that's never been a part of what we wanted to do. And like, we're having to really sit with how we might've contributed to this, how we not might've, how we have contributed to this. And, you know, I think honestly, like we're drawing our own lines in the sand too, because this, you're right. It's not enough. It's not enough. And at a certain point you can't, you can't dance around it. You can't make excuses. Um, as much as, you know, it's lovely for us to have this platform and we've gotten to meet so many wonderful people and we, you know, hope that we've reached people. It's like at a certain point, it doesn't outweigh the, the bigger harm that the, you know, cultural product is causing. And um, I'm really grateful for this moment that has sort of opened up space for people yeah. to like actually say that. And I wonder how you feel. It seems at least anecdotally to me, like, other con former cast members of color have felt perhaps more space for them to speak up about their own experiences. Like it's felt like for the first time, you're not out there on a ledge by yourself, maybe saying these things. I will have to say it's, I, Brian, I was talking to Brian about this the other day and he was telling me that he felt like I was brave or some people will say you're brave for what you do. I don't feel brave because I've also gone through this franchise and I've, unless they're gonna give me some type of producer role, host role, I've pretty much done everything that I can do. So I don't have as much to lose as another contestant of color that could potentially be considered to be the lead of this franchise in the future. So I don't feel brave, I, I really don't. Um, and I hate to wear that, that title. I, I feel almost like it's my duty, it's my responsibility and I said, this is why I wanted to do the show. And I never want to forget the person who started this show four years ago and her entire purpose for doing it, like hopeful for love, but also wanted to pave the way. I'm never too big to remember how I started this whole thing, this whole journey. I am, I also do feel like in light of what is going on in the times, just in general, people of color feel more comfortable speaking out. They don't have the same fear of I'm going to lose my job or my opportunities because I'm being honest about how I feel and I've been treated in this society. And I'm happy that with what's going on, people of color can speak out. And you're seeing action taken when they do. Shows being canceled, movies not streaming, people getting fired from your favorite TV shows, 
black bachelors happening. You know, things are happening because of the protesting and because of people speaking out. And I'm happy to see it. And I also have to acknowledge for the first time ever, I am seeing white contestants on this show and leads speak out in a way I never have. Sean Lowe's making a statement. Ben Higgins has a fire in his belly about what is happening. I mean, I'm loving it. (laughs) I am a totally acknowledging Ben Higgins. In, in every interview, I'm just like, have you seen Ben Higgins? He's calling out his followers. He's speaking out. And I know that he typically has the, the persona of, you know, walking the straight line and not trying to, you know, ruffle any feathers or anything like that. So I, I'm, I think a lot of people are feeling comfortable. So I, I definitely want to acknowledge white leads that are speaking out and contestants as well. Nick Biles been really outspoken. Ashley I has. I mean, the list goes on and on. It's not just me and Ashley Spivey doing it. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, when you first agreed to be the the Bachelorette, you were open at the time about how you hope to use that to pave the way and make real change. Um, And that's been the case. Like, I feel like your voice, you know, is often ignored, but it's been very present as part of this conversation. Um, how has that played out differently from how you might have expected? Like, did you anticipate how much you would have to take on in dealing with the show's uh, problems with racism? Um, And did you anticipate anything like where we ended up at this point now? No, I didn't. I've underestimated a lot when it comes to the franchise, even how big of a deal it was that I was the first Black Bachelorette because I didn't watch the show before. I didn't know what Bachelor Nation was. I didn't know how deep it was. I didn't know that it would have such a big impact. I literally had a panic attack when I was announced as a Bachelorette. I think that also helped me navigate all of this because I just didn't get it. I remember getting ready for Jimmy Kimmel and I was about to be announced. And mind you, I'm in the middle of trial at this point. And I'm about to be announced And the stylist was like, well, it's already over everywhere. The Hollywood Reporter picked it up. My response goes, I go, what's the Hollywood Reporter? That is how (laughs) aloof, it wasn't my world. You know, I'm in a legal, I'm reading like journals, like Texas Bar Journals and cases. And, you know, like that's that's just my reality. So I'm just not into the entertainment world or to understand it. So I... I definitely didn't expect how big, like the biggest splash that I was going to make. And I definitely didn't expect to take on this role because I thought, wow, I'm the first and they're doing it. This is going to be the first of many firsts. They're going to start diversifying the cast. I'm going to be able to attract a diverse audience. I just thought that my voice and my presence would make a huge difference. But I think what I've learned in the last three years since I've been the lead is that it can't just be me and I can't be alone in this. I have to have a force behind me. And right now I have the Black Lives Matter movement behind me. But what I would have needed before this was the franchise behind me. And I didn't have their support pushing the initiatives that I wanted as well to the forefront. And that's why after I went through, you didn't see another lead of color. You, didn't, you saw a diverse cast. But the second half of the season, you didn't see them. You know, you just might have seen the one or two that were filling a spot. You didn't see leads that were actually interested in pursuing, you know, an interracial relationship. It, and so, yeah, it just let me know 
how much I was in this alone and how much of a burden it was on me. But I, again, I also feel like it's my duty and my responsibility to speak out. You know, four years later, things are getting done. Well, three years since I was a bachelorette. And, you know, hopefully we don't wait another three years to see some type of changes. Maybe it's not a lead. It's just a lead picks someone who doesn't look like them. That right. would be a, a nice change from what we mostly see. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, you've mentioned the importance of having a lead who's open to dating people from different backgrounds. And it's interesting that it seems like they actually made an effort with that uh, in Sean Lowe's season, um, the first season after they were sued <laughs> for racial discrimination. <laughs> yeah. And then it apparently never was a factor again. Um, so it's possible. It's something they can absolutely do. Um, and something that we hope they take into account in the future. Um, I mean, uh, can I say that Claire is a person? I, I, I talk to Claire um, a lot. Claire is interested in dating outside of her race. And oh, I think that so I'm hear. excited to, to and, and not in response to this, just I've talked to her before this, and I'm excited to see that with her season. But I also think that goes to her being 39, having life experiences and understanding things and she knows who she is as opposed to the 25 year old who's trying to figure out who they are and trying to figure out this whole journey at the same time right and also half the 25 year olds they cast like came from incredibly white communities have never been exposed to much out there in the world and like yeah all of all of these factors uh play a role (laughs) yeah hannah admittingly says that she left where she's from, Tuscaloosa, to have an experience to experience more in the world, which means she was experienced every, everything, you know, liberals, people of color, <laughs> you know, I, yeah, just, just television, everything, everything was new to her. Yeah. And you often see that with these young leads is that their final four will all kind of look the same because at that age, you often have a type that is based on like your high school boyfriend, you know, <laughs> yeah, there's, yeah. Uh, yeah. they haven't had that much uh, ex- exposure, uh, which is really a huge problem in itself. Um, but I think that's a really good point. Um, so one thing that we often hear is that reality TV isn't really the place to have these battles, that it's a distraction. It's something that we go to for escapism. We get comments, you know, like, stop making this fun show all about race or politics. Yeah. Um, for you, why, where do you think this fits into the broader struggle? Like, why does it matter to take that fight to a place like reality TV? Yeah, I definitely get those, those same questions. And, you know, like, who do you think you are? You know, why are you, why are you fighting so hard for this? I, because, I don't know, how do I want to answer this? I, it's still important because Vaccination is huge. And just because you don't watch it, like none of my friends watch it, we all tolerated, we all knew what the problem was. And we laughed, it was a joke that the show wasn't for people of color, but we just learned to tolerate it and to watch something else. But if I'm speaking to a group of students who have an entire college class or college course dedicated to The Bachelor, this franchise is embedded in society. And Somebody said this to me the other day. These days, you don't have a lot of firsts. And the fact that it's still a first 
that three years ago, I was the first uh, black bachelorette. Today, we have the first black bachelor. That's a huge problem. And I think that it's reflective. It might be a small, it might be this, this silly show. It might be something that a lot of people don't watch, but it is also representative. This show and this franchise is representative of the problem in our society. They are perpetuating a product, as you will, the lead, and catering to a certain audience who is only comfortable and only wants to see things one way, right? Almost watching The Bachelor is like watching Fox News. It's like they're gonna, they're catering to a specific audience. They're not going to make you feel uncomfortable. They know this works. This is why it's been on for 18 years and this is how they're making their money. And, we're, and, and we don't care. And so I think that that is a problem. Even if you don't watch the show, it's just important. I'm affiliated with it. There are a lot of other p people of color and it's wrong. And maybe I wouldn't care if I hadn't been on this show. I'd be like, I don't even watch The Bachelor, who cares? But being a part of it, it means something to me. I am representative of this. I am an extension of this franchise. And it is important that it starts to mirror and reflect. And we don't keep catering to a certain group of society. We don't keep, we're not a problem as to, like we're not part of a problem as to what's going on in this society. I just, I just feel it's just extremely important. Absolutely. I mean, also like pop culture shapes the way that people view the world. Yeah. And, you know, if we, if we don't make changes in, in our cultural products, as well as in our, you know, legislatures and, you know, the way we fund the police, like these things are all on a continuum and they are yeah. all reflective of a society that is like really steeped in white supremacy. So I think you're spot and I, on. And I think also one of the things that I've said is to stop making problematic storylines for people of color. Stop playing into stereotypes. So if you have a certain audience that isn't used to being around people of color, and then this is what they see on television, an angry black man, a woman who isn't cursing, who isn't raising her voice, but is asked on stage, why is she so angry? To play into a stereotype of the angry black female. That is a problem. We have to stop doing these things because this audience isn't used to seeing people of color. I mean, that's why they watch it. That is why you have fans like Hannah Brown's fans that come to me and are mad at me for holding her accountable for saying a derogatory word. They feel as if they can do that and speak to me in that way. They feel as if they're right in the way that they're thinking because they are only surrounding themselves with this type of culture. And the bachelor plays into that. They don't challenge them. They don't expand their thinking, their horizon, their experiences. They keep it comfortable for them. And that's why you have these type of people who watch the show because it caters to the world that they know. At least I know I can turn on The Bachelor and still see white people finding love with other white people and black people barely being existent. <laughs> or just people of color, the people of color in general, barely yep. existing. Uh, that about sums it up. I mean, what would you tell viewers of The Bachelor who do care about anti-racism and don't want to be you know, complicit in the perpetuation of these really, really negative dynamics? Should we be prepared to tap out of the franchise altogether? Are there other ways that we can hold them, hold their feet to the fire before we decide to just tap out? Mm -hmm. I definitely don't want to tell people to boycott the show and not watch it just because I know there's so many good people who aren't in the decision room who depend on this show to feed their families. There are really great people behind the camera. 
And I also don't want to say don't watch it because I don't want Matt James to have low ratings. And then it's another excuse to use as to why this, this is why we don't do the lead. It has nothing to do with color. It's just, you know, they're just not as watched, whatever. I don't want any excuses. So I would encourage people to keep watching. But what I would say is do not be distracted by the fact that there is a Black Bachelor. There is a lot of work to be done. He is a Band-Aid that has just been placed over a huge problem. And if you rip off that Band-Aid, there are a lot of issues and there's a huge wound that needs to be fixed. It needs to heal. It's, it's, it's still infected. I would say the, the structure of the franchise is still infected. So don't get distracted by that. Continue to push. That's why I love that change.org petition because it doesn't just say, we want a black lead. It spells out changes that need to be made to show that you're taking diversity seriously. So if you haven't signed the petition already, I would tell you to sign it. If you just signed it without reading it, read it and continue to be the change that you want to see in this franchise. Don't stop asking for more. Don't get complacent and satisfied because, oh, now there's a person of color. No, there's still issues in this franchise. I think that's a perfect note to end on. And if you could just tell all of our listeners where they can find you, I'm sure most people that listen to our show are already following mm-hmm. you, but you obviously, you have a new podcast, Higher Learning with The Ringer. Where can they find that? Um, any, yes. Anything you want to shout out? So you can follow me on all social media at the Rach Lindsay, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, whatever. Um, I do have a new podcast on The Ringer. It's called Higher Learning. My co-host is going to be livid that we've already recorded and now they've announced the Black Bachelor. I mean, he's, and he doesn't watch the show, but he just loves to give an opinion on it. And then you can also catch me on Bachelor Happy Hour as well. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Rachel. This was You're welcome. perfect. Thank you guys so much for having me. Seriously. I'm glad we can make it happen. We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we'll hear from Taylor Nolan, who has a whole lot to say about her experiences with Bachelor Nation and race, as well as sharing some really great practical advice for white people who want to be actively anti-racist. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Sometimes there will be something that is just like nagging at me, bothering me about something in my life, and I just swirl it around and around and around in my head and don't quite know how to address it. And something that can really help me sort that through and like take action is therapy. I completely agree. I've been really stressed lately because I've just been getting sick over and over again. And before I know it, I'm feeling a lot of emotions and I don't even connect where they're coming from with the actual origin. We all carry around these stressors, right? And when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a great safe space to get things off of your chest and figure out how to actually work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash love to see it today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash love to see it. Okay, so you got engaged. Congrats. Now you may be wondering what comes next. If you're planning a wedding, the first thing you need to know about 
is Zola. With Zola, you can plan your entire wedding in one convenient place. From the day you get engaged and search for the venue to the day you send out your save the dates, make your registry, and even taste your cake. Zola has literally everything you need to make the whole process super easy and actually even enjoyable. There's even a five-star app that helps you plan on the go or, you know, from your couch, which is certainly how, uh, if I was planning a wedding, I would definitely want to do it as loungily as possible. <laughs> so important. I also just know myself. I, I know that planning any kind of event, like even a birthday party, can get very stressful. And so it's been really cool to see friends use Zola. It really seems to make everything a lot less stressful. And as a frequent wedding attender, I love to be able to hop on that Zola registry and just purchase a gift. Easy peasy. I know I've done it. I won't forget. Thank you, Zola. Yeah, everything's all in the same place. It's perfect. Start planning at Zola.com. That's Z-O-L-A.com. I am so glad that it's finally warming up. And it also means that I just want to have fun this summer and I don't want to be worrying about meal prep. And luckily... I can do something about that with Factor, especially because they have so many meal options like Protein Plus, Keto, Vegetarian, something for every diet. Their fresh, never frozen meals are ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every single week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Make your whole day delicious. From breakfast to dessert, stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. I love having a few factor meals just sitting in my fridge, especially because I work from home. It's so nice to finish up a taping and not have to figure out what to cook myself. Just look in my fridge and be like, oh, in two minutes, I can be eating mushroom chicken thighs and wild rice or tomato basil chicken risotto or... Santa Fe style green chili beef skillet. And they always have a nice like vegetable side. It feels well balanced. I feel full after and it's not a headache at all. Head to factormeals.com slash LTSI 50 and use code LTSI 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code LTSI 50 at factormeals.com slash LTSI 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. The weather's getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. Oh, I'm so happy the weather is finally turning. If you, like me, have been wanting to update your wardrobe for the long haul without, you know, spending a fortune, then Quince is for you. You can build up a lineup of timeless pieces that will keep you looking effortlessly chic year after year like premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless 14-karat gold jewelry, and so much more. And the best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes those savings right on to you. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices, as well as premium fabrics and finishes. I love Quince for all these staples. I mean, linen is my favorite summer fabric. They have so many amazing linen staples. I also found my new go-to like summer running around to the playground in the coffee shop bag. It's the pebbled Italian leather 
front sling bag. I can just fit a wallet and my phone and my AirPods in it, maybe some lip balm. Absolutely perfect. I'm so obsessed with it. And the price was exactly what I wanted to. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash LTSI for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash LTSI to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash LTSI. Anyone who's been listening to this podcast for a while or even not that long knows that we love article. I mean, honestly, I'm looking around my home right now. Coffee tables from article. That lovely chair out on my deck. Article. Our big console. Article. I'm My bed frame. Article. This is an article household. It is. And it's, I mean, it was an inspiration to me. We finally got our first article piece of furniture recently, our new couch. And my husband and I are both constantly just like, how did we live before this couch? This is such an improvement over what we had before. It's so comfortable. It just seems to get more comfortable every day. I mean, it's the couch you dream of. And the reason that we have both been able to find ideal furniture on Article is because Article believes in delightful design for every home. And thanks to their online-only model, they have some really delightful prices, too. Their curated assortment of mid-century modern, coastal, industrial, Scandi, and boho designs makes furniture shopping simple. And their team of designers are all about finding that perfect balance between style, quality, and price because we all want the best of all of those three things united in one piece of furniture, right? Plus, they're dedicated to thoughtful craftsmanship that stands the test of time and, you know, looks good doing it. Article is offering our listeners $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more. To claim, visit article.com slash LTSI, and the discount will be automatically applied at checkout. That's article.com slash LTSI for $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more. Since she came off Nick Vile's season of The Bachelor, Taylor Nolan has been an outspoken voice for change within The Bachelor franchise, as well as a resource for all things mental health, anti-racism, and sex positivity through her Instagram account and podcast. Let's talk about it with Taylor Nolan. She also happens to be a dear friend of the pod. So thanks for being here with us today, Taylor. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I love you both so much. Oh, well, the feeling is mutual. We we adore you and honestly have been so grateful for your voice since, you know, forever, but even more so <laughs> in these last few weeks when you have really just been taking on a lot. Doing uh, my best. <laughs> what kind of made you decide to take on this burden of educating Bachelor fans around race and specifically anti-blackness obviously the we know that the majority of the audience is white yeah I mean it doesn't really feel like it was much of an intentional decision because it doesn't really feel like I have much of a choice so I mean a lot of the a lot of the things that I talk about now like white fragility are not things that I'm just now talking about as of the last three weeks um you know this is stuff that really since I was kind of a little bit more detached from the show that I was like, you know what? I give no fucks anymore about what people think. And I'm going to like really just share what's on my mind and what I value and what's important to me. So um, that's kind of where I just decided like, yeah, I am going to talk about things like white privilege and 
racism and just my experience being a biracial person when that comes up and when that feels like it's part of the balance of how I try to show up wholly on Instagram and on let's talk about it. So um, when all of this stuff started happening, um, you know, really when start a little bit you know when it started with a mod um I was a little quieter because again there were just so many things going on that I was just like for some of this stuff I really just have to take a step back and take a step away and just be like I can't like sometimes it's too much like very emotional and the amount of you know hate that I would then receive um for just trying to like give that information would just be even more exhausting so that's where in the past I've tried to be super intentional about when I do bring it up and making sure that I'm good to to be able to talk about it um but then it does just get to a point sometimes where it's like no I feel like I really I don't have a choice and like I need to speak up about this and like a fire has been lit and and now it's actually a little bit different because when I talk about it I'm not losing followers, how I typically would lose thousands for talking about this stuff. Now I'm gaining and people are a little less tone policing. People are a little less fragile and a little more open to having these conversations. So that makes me feel a little bit positive about where we're going. That makes me feel a little bit positive about (laughs) where we are hopefully going. Yeah. (laughs) And is race something that you thought about consciously when you first decided to go on the show like during casting yeah it's unfortunately I mean you hear I I think you probably heard CN echo this on her season I remember her saying some comments about you know she never thought she'd be here because she had never seen you know girls like her get their fairy tale ending and a huge part of me even getting on the show was like really doubting myself and being like well sure I'll go along with it because I highly highly doubt that they would ever even pick me for this and then being picked for it was like oh wow like I kind of feel seen right now and I kind of feel like you know as much as I do doubt myself in this position like maybe maybe this could be different. Maybe I could be an exception for this. Um, And even on Paradise, uh, they aired me saying in one of my ITMs that I never felt like I was someone who was desired in Bachelor World. And that to me, like watching that back really sunk in because in everyday life, you know, I feel like I'm a lot more confident in myself and, you know, that I'm a I'm a full package <laughs> when it comes to dating. And in Bachelor World, it felt like, yeah, I would be like the last person that someone would be attracted to or would be interested in having a relationship with because I'm not the Hannah G, you know, I'm not the Alabama Hannah, like I'm not those. And that is what is praised and what the fan base and the cast as well love to give attention to. And then you you ended up going pretty far on the show and had a very polarized audience audience reaction, um, yeah. a lot of really negative audience reaction. Was was that something that you thought about as well? Like the way that race played into the way the audience read you on the show and and reacted to you. So going on the show, I didn't really. I knew because part of my intro was about me being biracial that some people would say things about that. But um, it wasn't really until we were filming and kind of in the midst of the drama that 
not only was it the 2016 election and there were some parallels <laughs> in there um, between what was happening on the show and uh, the dynamics politically, but then especially when it was airing and they literally aired statements echoing Make America Great Again um, to where I felt like, wow, this is really not going to go well for me. Like knowing that I already didn't feel like I belonged in that space and that I wouldn't be desired in that space because I don't look like what people typically like on the show. Plus then what I'm going up against is this image of that. Is this just like pure image of privilege and um, what the show finds entertaining that I was like, this is not, this is not going to go well for me. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I remember even for us watching, we were really disturbed by the reaction Mm -hmm. and, and that dynamic. And I think it's, you know, something that has been discussed at least piecemeal within Bachelor World, but it feels like this current set of, you know, protests, anti-racist protests has sort of opened up a real space for both audience and cast members to be having a more substantive conversation about race and, you Mm -hmm. know, open up space for us to also use our platform to kind of activate our audience. In, In that vein, like we have a lot of white women listeners who want to do better, who want to be allies, Mm -hmm. what should they, from your perspective, you know, as, as a therapist, as someone who studied conflict resolution, what should they understand kind of going into this work? Um, especially if they haven't been super involved in anti-racist work in the past. Yeah. Well, first know that it's not, it's not your own self-help work. Um, and that is, it's not fun. (laughs) that it's going to be really tough for you that uh, you're going to make mistakes in this, a lot of mistakes in this. Um, Even reflecting on, you know, listening to me, I might not even be someone that you want to listen to right now. And I might have been someone on the show that you watched and really disliked. And you might not consider yourself racist, right? You might not say the N word. You might think you're a good person. But there's a lot of microaggressions that you have probably uh, had on a day to day basis that you haven't really looked at. So I think going into this kind of work to just the therapist in me says to be very gentle with yourself, um, to try to give yourself compassion and understand that this is conditioning that you've absorbed from your ancestors from over 400 years ago, right? That is not going to change overnight, is not going to change in a month, that if this is work that you're going to go into, understand this is going to be work for the rest of your life, that this is not only personal work, but this is systemic work. So on one hand, yeah, get personal, dig into your own microaggressions, dig into, um, you know, areas where you haven't been anti-racist, dig into that work, but also know that it's so much bigger than you. Because sometimes when you do zoom in so close to just you, it can create that defensiveness to flare up and it can create that shame and that can be paralyzing, which really just takes you away from um, being able to do that work. So know that it's going to be really hard. Open yourself up to that. Know that like it's going to be okay to make mistakes and that you're going to make them. Uh, But to not let that scare you away. I mean... It's, it's going to be quite a journey. 
more true than one that's ever said on The Bachelor, to be honest. So yes. true. It's going to be the most dramatic journey. Yeah. <laughs> it really is. A- an actual journey as opposed to what we see yes. on reality TV. <laughs> so I love that you mentioned that, like, this is not work that white people should do as, like, self-help. Um, yeah. How do we balance the aspect of anti-racism work that does feel so much like self-improvement that is about reading and interrogating ourselves and looking inward with work that tangibly like affects the world and helps people like how do we fit those pieces together and make sure that the emphasis is on helping instead of Mm -hmm. looking at ourselves yeah I think this is where you have to ask yourself what your intention is right is is the intention and the and the purpose Um, And I suppose really the function as well of your action to make you feel good or is it really for change or to support someone else? Um, You know, you might start reading White Fragility, right? And you might feel like, yeah, this is what I need to be doing. This is what, you know, this like feels really good. You know, I'm really doing the work. I'm really learning. Like if you're saying those things, <laughs> then if that's like what you're constantly repeating to yourself, um, maybe try to make that shift to, you know, this has been incredibly shitty what's been happening. Um I want to take responsibility and be a part of this change. Um what's been happening is not okay. And I've benefited from that. Um, I think once you shift from like this praise or this kind of pat on your back of doing this work to the accountability piece, that's what kind of transitions it out of this frame of self-help because self-help doesn't always feel like accountability, Typically, when we think of self-help, it's more just like, I'm just going to turn inward and reflect, (laughs) and then I'm going to be better. (laughs) And that doesn't usually include a a component of of accountability and of action. Um, And so I think to step outside of this self-help frame of anti-racism work that you're going to have to take that really really difficult step towards taking accountability and actually putting that into action, knowing that it might not be self-fulfilling. Right. There's no guarantee how people are going to react to you or how Mm -hmm. it's going to make you individually as a white person feel. And that sort of goes into something that I think we've we've seen. Um, Some well-meaning white people say you know, sort of say, well, I, I want to be in support. I want to speak up, but I don't want to seem mm-hmm. like I'm being performative or virtue signaling. Like yeah. how, you know, for people who say, how can I make sure I'm truly acting in solidarity and not just, not just mm-hmm. as you said, trying to make sure that people like think I'm good. Yeah. And I think it's, it's in those like day-to-day moments where you are showing up anti-racist and not benefiting from it. I've seen some white people in an attempt to show solidarity and be anti-racist and to fundraise money to offer like prizes for white people, like for doing that. And if your motivation in engaging in anti-racism work is knowing that you're going to get something out of it, that, that doesn't feel... 
that doesn't feel like true solidarity to me personally. Um, you know, having a conversation with, you know, your parents at the dinner table about uh, just the fact that you as white people have the privilege to even decide and argue whether or not Black Lives Matter. Like, what do you get out of that, really? That's not like, <laughs> that's a component of anti-racism work where you are taking on that emotional burden where you're not getting a gold star for that. Um, in fact, it's going to be really difficult for you to have that conversation. And more times than none, you probably know that you might not really make any change, but you're still taking that energy and taking that step to show up in that space. So it's not for a prize. It's not for a, you know, well, if you look back, it was on my feed. I I, I was there in solidarity. Like, no, it's in the moments where no one sees it, right? It's in the moments where it's hard for you. Like a donation is one thing. Following a black influencer is one thing. But like really taking that extra step. And this is where I know like for some white people, it feels like, oh, well, it's just, it's not like nothing's going to be enough what I do anyway. And it's like, don't tell yourself that. Because you're just sit, you're sitting yourself back in that place of privilege where you don't have to do anything, and know that it's okay if you know black and people of color ask you to do just a little bit more. It's like you're gonna be okay. <laughs> Think of all the things that you haven't done thus far in your life, all the things you haven't even had to consider or experience in your life. Doing a little bit more is gonna be okay. Yeah, that's a really, really interesting way of looking at it. Like, I could just feel that sinking in as you were talking about <laughs> yeah. it. I was like, oh. Um, and even, you know, with things like donations, I feel like for a lot of us, it feels so easy to send mm -hmm. 20 bucks, 25 bucks. But I've been trying to think recently about donating more money than feels comfortable. Um, yeah. And just even in these ways, um, in every way that we're that we're engaging, trying to do it in, in a way that pushes us beyond where we're comfortable, mm -hmm. because that's yeah. usually where we're being more helpful. <laughs> no, yeah, absolutely. And and not trying to Instagram all of it. You know, like not mm -hmm. you don't have to Instagram to prove to the world that you donated. You can yeah. just donate. Um, mm -hmm. And I understand people feeling like is it going to be bad if I post this thing? It, if you think, if your gut is that it's going to be helpful to someone outside of yourself, yeah. post the thing. If it's a misstep, mm -hmm. someone will tell you and you will course correct. And that is how you will learn. And that's sort of how yes. I'm trying to think of it. Yeah. And I have several thoughts on what both of you just said there. And it's to, to your last point, if someone does correct you, keep it up. I've had several engagements with other people from bachelor family where I have corrected something or just provided a different perspective to their post. Um, and they've just completely deleted it. <laughs> and where I'm like, ah, like I wasn't saying that for you to delete it. Like I just, I know other people were probably having the same thought process as you and showing that, um, transformation, showing that, um, that, that part of learning for you is really at the root of what is like going to be helpful. Um, and it's, when it, when it comes to the donation piece, I do want to touch on this a little bit. Um, 
something I've talked about in the last few weeks and something that now I just received a uh, a podcast re- review about in a one star rating oh. um, with their with their frustration of of this donation piece and um it is it is important to donate to organizations but it's also important to uh pay and send money to black individuals. Um, and I think people, <laughs> Emma, you're snapping. <laughs> um, I think people get, <sighs> A, I think because I am biracial, people already from jump question and try to make me prove my blackness, which like, screw you. That's not what I'm here for. Um, <laughs> but second, um, It feels so strange, I understand, for white people to think about why they would pay individual black people if they're not specifically getting something from them or if it's not an organization. And then there are the others who will just donate out of guilt and just be like, no, here's my money. I think this is what I can do. Um, But really, when you look at the wealth gap, right, if you look at how black people never even received reparations, like... Yeah, as much as you want to donate to black organizations, donate to the black people that you know, donate to um, the black content creators that you are benefiting from. Um, You know, I had basically said, I've been covering this content. I've been talking about this stuff. I've got highlights. I've got podcast episodes. I've got previous posts uh, where I do engage with people in DMs and in comments. And if y'all don't want to take the five minutes to put in a Google search or to go read a book that is easily available and you want to take my emotional energy, then yeah, please feel welcome to Venmo me (laughs) and to Venmo any other black woman that you are asking for her to explain these things to you. Um, And it's like, it's even when we think about actually standing in solidarity, actually showing up and and practicing being anti-racist and being an ally, like the self-help piece really is just like, oh, well, can you tell me what to do? And that's, that's such an easy place for you to be in. Like, I've had to go and learn about black history myself. Black people weren't taught their own history. They had to go educate themselves on this information on their own. So just like them, you can then take that extra step and figure that stuff out on your own. And if you don't want to, right, if you just want to ask or just, you know, engage with those black folks then yeah you can pay them or donate to that organization so that was my long thought on that (laughs) that I wanted to share no I love that and I think that that's incredibly incredibly important even just making the switch from you know really intentionally recognizing that what people Mm -hmm. like you and like so many black creators out there that is work that is labor that is emotional labor that is content creation labor um and Mm -hmm. I think you know, it's really easy for us to, th- the same way that we obscure like childcare as something yeah. that just is part of motherhood. Like it's very mm-hmm. easy to obscure, um, yeah. obscure labor that this country has not traditionally mm-hmm. uh, wanted to value monetarily. Yeah. So. And it's hard, like as not only a woman, but also as like a black woman, as a biracial woman, it's hard to be like, yeah, wait, I do I deserve this is this is valuable 
monetarily like that's hard to even say like when I had first even posted that of like yeah I appreciate your thank yous but like if you really do want to thank me then like share my podcast or feel free to Venmo me like that's what would really actually show your appreciation um that was really hard even to just sit with of like wait okay like do I like is my work valuable of that and it's like if we want to talk about feminism here we got to include the intersectionality part of that right and that's where I think um if you do want to take that step to donate to black organizations, think about also how you can donate to or pay black individuals. Yeah, especially absolutely. black women. <laughs> absolutely. Um, and you, you started talking about this and like at the risk of, of recreating the problem here on our, on our podcast, I, I, I think a lot of white people, now are realizing that they need to catch up on this education of everything they've been ignoring. Um, how, how should people who want to do that go about educating themselves without asking the people in their lives or people like you to individually sort of cater to their, to their needs? Yeah. Google, <laughs> we, Google is a great place to start. <laughs> um, there are so many podcasts out there literally just with like a simple Google search of like racism, white education <laughs> for racism. Like, I mean, <laughs> no, you're right. You're absolutely right. <laughs> yeah. Like racism podcasts, like black history. Um, there are so many. And and I mean, extend that now to look at your Instagram feed. Like by now, I'm sure there are several new black content creators that you are following. And I'm sure that most of them you are following exclusively because they provide racial education. Google racial educators <laughs> and, find, <laughs> and, find, and find their work. Uh, and once you find one, like you'll be introduced to a ton of others and just continue down that, right? Like Netflix literally has an entire collection now of Black Lives Matter material. Like go down the rabbit hole and watch those. And some of them, this is an important point that I want people to take away. It's not just the the pain and the suffering and the ways that black people have been oppressed that you got to be learning. You also have got to just be exposing yourself to black stories and just allowing black people to just be without there even being this emphasis on their blackness. Um, She's got to have it is was one of my favorite shows. Uh, They they recreated it on Netflix. And, um, you know, she basically moves through her dating life kind of in like a poly uh, perspective. And it's like, yeah, you know, if you enjoyed watching girls on HBO, go watch Insecure on HBO. Right. Go watch. She's got to have it. Um, And just absorb these other these experiences that are just human nature but through the lens of someone who's black and allow that story to just sit there and be true just as you would watching girls and being like, oh my God, I'm such a Marnie or sex in the city, right? Like, I mean. Hopefully you're not a Marnie, but. Yeah, hopefully, you know. hopefully you're not. But if you can get a Charlie though, I don't know. That's true. That's true. Uh, no, that that is a perfect answer. And I think you're spot on. Just to kind of round us out, how can white people make anti-racist work sustainable. I think that there is this impulse and I've noticed it in myself to be like, mm-hmm. oh my God, I see everything I've done wrong and I need to fix it 
all. And I want immediately feeling uncomfortable. So I'm going to fix it all. But obviously that is not how this works. These are (laughs) systems. So how, how do we, um, sort of re rejigger the way that we are thinking about this work Mm -hmm. so that we can wrap our heads around the fact that it is a lifetime of work. Yeah. It's got to become a value. It's got to become a a part of of your value system like women empowerment is right like animal rescue is right um like wanting to advocate for people with special needs um it's it's got to become a value in order for it to be incorporated into your daily life sustainably for the rest of your life um and i think I, I totally hear you on that. I've seen that immediate gut reaction to wanting to make your entire life it right now. But like you said, that isn't sustainable. You will burn out. This is incredibly emotionally heavy, painful work at times. Although I will add in this piece because I've worked with several clients on this this week that you do not need to feel the same pain. You won't be able to feel the same pain as black people in order for you to care about this or to make change about this, right? Um, So you don't even need to put yourself in a position to feel that pain, but it's got to become a value of yours. Like it's it's a human rights issue to where if you care about people, then you have to include black people in that and not just black men or black women, but black trans people, right? Black, um, Literally every person that is a black person has got to be created into your value system so that uh, you're not just reacting to everything right now and um, burning yourself out emotionally. Um, I think, you know, I was talking with a a white influencer yesterday, um, Birds Papaya, and when we were talking about this and she's done a great job of starting to include this content into her page and understanding that just as you value um, doing this body work, right, that there's and sharing your family and sharing your food and all of this stuff that that just this just becomes a part of it, Um, that it's got to be it's it's got to just be a piece of balance within your life amongst the things that you value in life. Um, And it doesn't have to, you know, I think some people feel like they can't relate at all. And so how, who are they, right, to care about this? Well, if you care about people, then black people should be included in that. <laughs> and and if, if there's a struggle even to get to that place, then you've got to recognize where the dehumanization of black people has really sunk in for you that that has been perpetuated throughout our society, that that's been a part of your conditioning from your ancestors to where it's literally a struggle to value black lives because they've been so dehumanized. Like, that's so sad and so shitty to think about, but it's true. So... It's got to just become a part of your values in order for that to stay sustainable and to incorporate it into the balance of your life. Yeah. 
Absolutely. And truly, we are so grateful to you for taking the time and putting in the labor to come on this podcast and talk us through this. It's not something you had to do. And we are so, so very thankful for your voice, um, you know, both Mm -hmm. in and out of Bachelor Nation. Yeah. Tell our listeners where they can find you, your podcast, where they can pay you. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So Instagram is at Taymocha, T-A-Y-M-O-C-H-A. And I do just like to include here that uh, it's not because I'm brown. A lot of people are like, oh, Taymocha, because <laughs> like, because you're brown, right? Um, it's Taymocha because Mocha Joe was the name of my first cat. And I'm like a crazy cat lady. And so I just combined our names. So I feel like now, especially, I have to like clarify that anytime I say my Instagram <laughs> handle, um, but it's Taymocha. And the podcast is called Let's Talk About It with Taylor Nolan. You can find it on any major podcast app. We also have an Instagram page that's um, at Let's Talk About It underscore podcast. Uh, My Venmo is also Tay Mocha. And, um, you know, I got to say, I so much value the fact that the both of you are not even just willing, but are finding value in having this conversation and I have loved everything that this podcast has stood for and how you guys have created conversations around not just everything happening in Bachelor Nation as usually what's happening in Bachelor Nation is also a bit of a reflection of our society (laughs) so the fact that you take these conversations deeper um, and that it does feel like a safe space for me to show up and and put in this emotional labor and um, I also do think it's important that you know It's not that it is okay, I think, for there to be a certain level of emotional labor because I don't want there to be divisiveness, right? So like you thanking me for coming on, I'm like, yeah, well, I appreciate that you wanted to create a safe space and open that up and it felt safe enough and that there was value enough, right, to know that I would be listened to and that I wouldn't be attacked and that it wouldn't be going around in circles um, because that that is part of what creates that divisiveness. So I appreciate both of y'all being open to having this conversation and for inviting me on. Well, thank you so much. We are just so grateful for your voice and that you were willing to do this. So it's so nice to hear that. Thank you so much, Taylor. We love you. <laughs> yes. And that's it for Here to Make Friends. Thanks to our guests, Rachel Lindsay, Taylor Nolan, Ria Ali, and Brett Vergara. And of course, our tireless producers, Nick Offenberg and Sarah Patterson. Give us a follow on Facebook and Instagram at Here to Make Friends Pod. And you can follow us individually on Instagram and Twitter. I'm at Claire E. Fallon. And I'm at Emily Rose. We'll be back soon to recap the next The Bachelor, the greatest seasons ever, plus more bonus episodes that you won't want to miss.
Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. True or false? Walmart has eye care. True. Stop by Walmart to save and browse top designer frames right where you already shop. And they accept most insurance. Welcome to Easy Eye Care. Welcome to your Walmart. Walmart.